From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Welcome back to another episode of the Defenders of Capitalism podcast. This is Michael Williams with Capital Idea, and you're listening to myself and Mitch Whitus. We're going to talk about ESG today. It's a big topic these days, Mike. It is. I mean, it's been a big topic for a number of years now, and it seems like it's gained some steam. I think people get kind of mixed up between ESG, environmentalism, you know, the E in ESG is environmentalism, social justice, maybe S is the social part of it. People get the whole woke movement mixed up with this. Yeah, I mean, it's become like a bad word or a bad three letters. You mean for us or for everyone? I think it's good for a lot of people, right? Yeah, no, but I think for a lot of people who are conservatives or or right-leaning, they hear ESG and they think, oh my gosh, I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah, well, I'm that way. It it does have a, it has a triggering effect, right? That's what you mean. For people who are, you know, you said conservatives, I'd say people who are pro-freedom, pro-capitalism, and I wouldn't put conservatives always in that camp, and I don't know that you would either, but... But that ESG moniker is a growing movement within the sort of the capitalist world, right? The business world. It's not just like politics. It's about the corporate world, right? It is, yeah. And like you said, Mike, so ESG, just for for anyone who doesn't know, it stands for environmental, social, and governance issues. I actually had a class on ESG in grad school. At Vanderbilt? At Vanderbilt. Uh, And it was actually pretty interesting. So they did it pretty well, or was it just a bunch of preaching juvenile? No, no, it wasn't just preaching. In fact, our our first class, we had a debate between, was Milton Friedman right, that a company's primary objective is to make money for shareholders, or is it more about the John Mackey stakeholder capitalism? And and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Definitely. But it was actually kind of fun. But what's interesting is a lot of people in the class, I, of course, debated on the side of Milton Friedman. I'm sure you'd expect nothing less. Absolutely. I'd be but, very disappointed if you were taking well, I know. I'm not Although John Mackey's a good, he's a good, uh, he, I, I consider him a hero of capitalism, although philosophically he's not a hero. But that's part of the problem is you have lots of people who are, you know, pro-capitalism, pro-freedom, pro-markets, but they want to take the edge off somehow. They want to, they want to make up more marketable, right? Right. Well, and that's what it was like in my class, right? Like a lot of people in the class, they didn't really care about like debating because for them it just seemed kind of self-evident. Like, yeah. They just focus on ESG. It's good. Why does so Mitch it was, care about it, it? Was it insidious in the sense of, okay, you have a bunch of smart business students like yourself who are you know, going for their master's in business and, and that's kind of making the assumption that uh, uh, business is good, that you wouldn't be an MBA student if you weren't interested in business. But we got to slide in a little bit of this. Was it sort of insidious that way or was it really a... I mean, you said it was... You had teams representing uh, Friedman and Mackey? It wasn't really teams. Professor just threw it out. And it, and it wasn't Mackey. It was Friedman versus just the general idea of stakeholder capitalism. Or so they weren't using any of his writings or anything? Or, uh, you know, not that I remember. But it wasn't like Friedman versus Marx it, or Friedman it, versus Piketty it, or something. Uh, like no, that. no. But it was Friedman versus the rest of the world, kind of. But no, honestly, <laughs> I think most that's people... That's how it is today. It is, Friedman yeah. Friedman versus the rest of the world. But most people in the class were just pretty ambivalent. You know, for them, it just seems uninteresting to talk about ESG, but I actually think it is really interesting. Absolutely. And, you know, today, you just Google ESG, you'll get all kinds of publications who rank, you know, the top ESG companies. Interestingly enough, ExxonMobil comes in towards the top of the list, you know, which seems kind of crazy. But I mean, it's all around us now, even if you don't always realize it. Yeah. 
Well, it has philosophical roots. It's been taken decades. Like you said, Friedman and the the American, what is it, the Business Roundtable? Uh, I mean, this is partly the like the national kind of chamber of commerce type of thing, right? Yeah. The Business Roundtable, which has a bunch of leaders from Fortune 500 companies who, who get together and talk about business issues, but also social issues. And Friedman said a long time ago to, to this group, and, th- and this group had that clarity that said, yeah, this is the purpose of a corporation to maximize shareholder well-being through profits. But that's been an argument. And, and again, it came from the universities. It's interesting. I, I was talking to somebody lately about Wharton. I think Wharton is actually the genesis of this. You know, Wharton is University of Pennsylvania. A great school. The number one business school in the world, right? I mean, yeah. really, really well-respected. You know, if you get into Wharton, you've got horsepower. And same thing with Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt's like one of the top schools, right? That's one of the top business schools in the world. Well, it, uh, you know, it's no Wharton, sir. <laughs> it's not Wharton, but no, but it's it's very well-respected. But my view is that there were people in the, in the philosophy, social sciences department at University of Penn, and then they infected the people in the business school. And a lot of this social justice stuff started there. Yeah. A lot of this ESG social justice, or, or the idea of saying, wait, we can't think about, we have to rethink about markets and capitalism and people's selfishness and all this kind of stuff. And we got to think broader than this. We get, and that, that's where they brought in no, you know, stakeholders versus shareholders. And um, wait, there's all kinds of communities that you have to take into account. It's not just about your shareholder, your selfish bastard shareholders, right? Well, and let's take a step back, Mike, because, you know, you said that ESG, that term, it kind of has a triggering effect on you, you said. But when we look at the words environmental, social governance, you know, we look at that and think, well, why, why wouldn't we want to care about those Absolutely. things? So I, I want to talk a little bit about why that is triggering to you. Mm-hmm. And I also want to talk about, <laughs> to me. well, to many people, but you in specific. Yeah. Anyone who's pro-freedom, I think. Yeah. And, and I've I've seen this a lot, even on my own social media, there's this, uh, several people have been looking to do banking. With, they've just gotten so fed up with ESG. They said, I want to do my banking with a bank that has nothing to do with ESG. And there's this <laughs> local bank here in Denver that has some advertisement on, you know, it said, help the planet and your wallet. And there's a little picture of a tree. Yeah. <laughs> and these people said, no, I'm not going to do business there anymore. If it's got a tree on it, I hate it. <laughs> exactly. So there's a little bit of an extreme there. <laughs> That's weird how that, that, that whole marketing thing has happened. You know, it's turned people who are normally rational into to you know a knee jerk reaction okay that's that's their virtue signaling and i reject those people on the left or those you know socialists so i have a trigger that you know again i, I do have this as myself it's interesting you bring up social media and people you're watching the banking industry i mean this this has happened a ton right now in my business and you know i got to do the whole disclaimer about well, i'm not we're not giving financial advice here you know mitch is a smart guy and he's a He's an MBA graduate from Vanderbilt, one of the best schools in the country. Oh, my goodness, Mike, please, <laughs> and, please. And here I am. I'm a financial advisor with 35 years of experience, but we're not giving any financial advice. Anything we say or do here is just talking. We're trying to entertain you people, right? Well, this is what we're trying to do. And maybe a little bit of information about capitalism, but we're not giving any advice. No, just that's infotainment. It. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're Tucker Carlson, but better. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> but but that said, I have the experience of lots of clients coming to me and saying, you know, I, don't, I either do want to be involved in ESG, and can you give me funds that are more c- conscious about the environment or clean energy or something like that? And then I have clients who are like, Anything that has to do with Vanguard or BlackRock, get me the hell out. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, Vanguard's a lot better than that right now. Uh, better by my standard in terms of 
focusing on uh, shareholder value. But BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street are the, the big behemoths in the fund management, portfolio management, pension fund management, all those kinds of big pools of cash, uh, pools of investment. Uh, and they have inordinate ability to vote proxies, right? Yeah. To be able to try to influence how corporations are being managed. And so they're the they're the bad guys. Although, like I said, uh, Vanguard has recently walked back their views on this. They, 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 I think, took a more rational approach to it. But it's the same kind of thing. People, people who are having this knee-jerk reaction saying, you know, either I want this because it has the little trees or I don't want it because it has the little trees and I know what that means. Well, and you bring up a good point, Mike. A lot of banks and investing firms are focusing a lot on ESG and a lot of their shareholders are saying divest in anything that has to do with carbon producing forms of energy, things like that. So getting to you, Mike, why do you have this knee-jerk reaction with ESG? Well, because I think it is, uh, it's got some uh, really faulty assumptions and uh, potentially not just um, ignorance, but also potentially bad intentions in terms of trying to control people. I think a lot of What's gone on with regard to that movement has been pushed by what I would consider to be negative influences. The World Economic Forum, the UN, there, there's definitely organizations that are trying to come up with a more of a world governance approach and not have competition, not have, have fewer markets and more control over people's lives. So it's, to me, it's more of a fascist movement long term. Um, now, that doesn't mean if you're if you're in favor of the E, if you're in favor of environmentalism and you want uh, clean air and clean drinking water, that you're part of a fascist movement. But I think there is, there is that underlying, especially at the corporate level that we're talking about, especially uh, when you talk, talk about you know, the influence that people are ha- these organizations are having over uh, corporations and corporate governance and the pressure they're putting on corporations to put people who have no expertise whatsoever onto their boards or people, or or change their their uh, incentive policies, or change their governance policies. I think there's a big movement to try to push a more socialist, control-oriented approach in America and throughout the world through corporations. So, what's the principle here then when we look at ESG issues? I mean, the principle that we, the, their principles or our principles no, in looking at them. Well, yeah, ours, yours. When you look at and you say, I don't like ESG. What, you know what 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 principle are you looking at the issue or principles? You mean that I don't their are principles that I don't like or yeah the, yeah well the, the principle uh, this is good that you're actually we're drill, drilling down on this because the, the principle that we and I say we you it's funny how you just correct me you're like well I don't know if I'm on your team Mike well you know I just want <laughs> to be very principles. specific about who's saying what here <laughs> that's right let's be clear here so my principles as a champion and defender of laissez-faire capitalism of of a system that's about protecting rights uh, most crucially property rights it's this movement is attack on property rights it's a it's an attack on corporations and the shareholders who are the owners of the corporation being able to do what they want with their property in terms of having their governance the way they want to be it's it's saying you know in, in for example in the e the the environmentalism it's it's trying to get people to use someone else's judgment versus their own better judgment about what's a, a good economic decision with regard to environment or or fuels or or uh, their manufacturing plants or whatever it might be. Can you drill down on what you mean by that? Sure. How do you mean? Uh, using somebody else's judgment. 
Yeah, so it, if you're talking about the environmental movements or the World Economic Forum, who's trying to say, let's decarbonize the planet, let's, let's quit using fossil fuels. Yeah. That's the biggest example, right? You mentioned you know, Exxon or traditional fossil fuel companies. So my view, and I just try to follow the science as best I can, but my view is that much of the, the quote science that's come out over the last you know, 30 or 40 years regarding global warming is more alarmism than science. And there's a, a control factor. There's organizations who want people who are wealthy, a middle class that is wealthy and growing middle class, but very consumer oriented and wanting to improve their lives and have more conveniences, more experiences, more travel. There's, there's a movement in an organization out there, or a number of organizations who say, no, that's not good. That's bad for the planet. You want to travel more. You want to have uh, your SUV gas guzzling car and you want to have you know air conditioning at will those are all bad you you don't realize there's not enough resources to go around and you're causing all this problem these these problems with the planet and so we have to control you and you don't get to decide what you can do with your property anymore even though you may be able to purchase a car and purchase the gasoline to burn or buy an airline ticket to uh, travel over there overseas or, or buy all these consumer products that you think are important in your life. Well, you don't get it. We need to substitute our judgment for yours. And you have to do different things with your property. Or maybe you don't even have property anymore. In fact, that's a big part of what you hear is, you know, we're going to make the world better by getting rid of private property and you'll be happier. That's a big part of what I would consider to be the underlying philosophical roots of the ESG movement. So I think a lot of businesses, though, that at least I would see on a day-to-day basis, this bank, for instance, which actually is my bank, which, which is why I find the situation so funny about, you know, the picture of the tree turning people off. I see the picture of the tree on the website. I just don't care either way. You know, they're going to go plant a tree that's probably going to be dead in a year anyway. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, you go and you open up a, a checking account and they'll go plant a tree for you. Right. Um, and it's just a marketing point, right? I mean, it is. They're, it's they're basically dressing. trying to say, look, this is the way the market has moved, and people seem to be more quote caring about the environment, and so we'll plant trees for them. You know, we'll try to get them as depositors, and in the meantime, we'll you know quote uh, make the the world a better place by planting a tree. So, is that a bad thing? No, marketing is not a bad thing at all. You know, th- this is the wonderful thing about capitalism is that, you know, there's all kinds of ways to say, look, this is what you care about. Here's who you want to affiliate with. Here's your identity, right? To use a term that's kind of hot these days. But, but you know, here's how you see yourself. And we're going to try to reflect our banking depository services or our automobile <laughs> services to you. And, and therefore, you'll like us and, and you'll buy from us. There's nothing wrong with that, the, the, but it is, ins, it is insidious. I'm using that term. I don't know if I'm using that term correctly or not. I, I think I am in the sense that it's not conspiratorial, but there is this, this the, the way cultures move over time. And I, I think it goes back to even much further. I mentioned decades. You know, it, it does have to do with how things have been sort of approached in the, public, in the government school systems. There's no real diversity of thought in the, in the government school system. So most people have grown up with this whole idea of we have to be much more concerned about the environment. Not in the sense that you said, you know, do you, Mike, do you care about you know, living in, in, a, in a decent environment? But no one ever asked the question, well, which environment and whose environment? And it's not acknowledging trade-offs either. Of course, you have some pollution that goes along with fa- fossil fuels. But why are you know 
literally billions of people moving into places that maybe have on the margin more pollution, but it's because on balance, given the trade-off, they have more opportunity. They have more employability. They have more opportunity to improve their lives. And, and they're okay with saying, okay, I can have a little bit less. And even, even I would even challenge that. I mean, if you, if you talk about someone who moves from a rural environment that somehow gets romanticized as, as into you know, this more primitive rural environment is very pure and clean, and that's not the case at all. I mean, anyone who's ever lived on a farm or a ranch knows there's dirt and there's cow dung and there's all kinds of things that are, there's smoke. So people who move into cities aren't necessarily moving into more cleaner environment, but that's how it's sold, right? I think for me, Mike, and this is, this is the reason when I said your principles, I didn't really mean to distance myself because I actually think we do <laughs> share many principles. But in my mind, I just think if businesses want to focus on doing ESG stuff, if they want to go plant a tree for you, or they're an investing company that wants to divest from ExxonMobil, but maybe not anymore because it's an ESG-friendly company, but you know they want to divest out of coal and oil, that's good. That I mean, I mean good for them. I don't care. It, it, it's good for them as long as there isn't some, and this is where people think it's it's conspiratorial, Or, but if there's public policy, if there's government force involved that's saying, here's what you got to do to be on this team, or if, for you to get invited to uh, talk to the president or this council or the congressman, or for you to be able to have any influence at all in Washington where this, quote, seat of power is going to be, if business people start saying, I gotta have you know trees on my on my uh, all my marketing materials, or I gotta I gotta have a certain green feel or a certain social justice feel, not because I care or I really think this is doing some good in the world. It's because I want to seat at the table in the controlling uh, capital. Then that's not good, and that's what's happening right now. Is that yeah. there are companies out there who are marketing this way because they are being regulated that way. They're actually being told they have to deal with this way. And then they ensure their leadership gets a seat at the table for how to regulate others. Is that exactly kind of, okay. Exactly. And that's the fascist nature. It's it's like saying, okay, I'm gonna go along with this stuff because even though I don't agree with it necessarily, I wanna be I wanna be on top of my competition. I wanna be I wanna be able to uh, have some influence over the budgets that get passed in Congress, so I get a piece of the action. That's what I mean by insidious. Yeah. No, I think I agree with that, Mike. And it, it does go to the idea of stakeholder versus shareholder capitalism. Right. And we spoke in the beginning about how I tried to defend Milton Friedman in my class yeah. and the idea of shareholder capitalism. And just to give a little background on that, you know, shareholder capitalism is saying that a company's purpose is to its shareholders, to make money for its shareholders. Yeah. Stakeholder is saying, well, yeah, you still you have your shareholders, but you've got the people you're serving in the community. You've got the people who live around where you build your buildings. You've got your employees. You've got your employees. You've got your vendors. You've got yeah. uh, suppliers. You've the got earth. The earth is a stakeholder. Yeah. yeah. So there's all these other sorts of things out there that the company needs to worry about. And one thing that Milton Friedman said, I think he wrote this in his book, Capitalism and Freedom, which, by the way, if you haven't read it, you got to read that. It's not even that long, but it's great. But Milton Friedman, he says, corporations have no higher purpose than maximizing profits for their shareholders. And he goes on to say corporations focusing on anything other than making money for shareholders would thoroughly undermine the very foundation of our free society. 
And I actually tend to agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I know it's it might be hard to make the leap saying, okay, making money for shareholders and living in a free society. You know what? I don't understand the connection there. But I think there's a big connection. Huge I'm wondering connection. if you can talk to that. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that, that uh, people make this disconnect between living in a free society and the actual material way they do that through property. I mean, you you live in a free society and your goal as an individual is most often to improve yourself. Now, maybe you want to improve other people too, but the, the first person you're concerned about is your own well-being and your family and the people that you work with daily. That's who you care about the most. And you do that through property and that you do that through your decisions on how to utilize the property that you have. The first property being your own body and mind and how you, you know, the, the, the work that you do, but, but the way you earn money, the way you earn money and trade with other people, and then you buy stuff and whether it's buying things you're consuming or using uh, durable goods or ultimately buying and investing in your own business or other people's businesses, whether it's through a stock market or whatever it might be, your that's your property. And that's where you're saying, I, you know, I want my life to be good and I want to improve my life. So a shareholder of a corporation is looking the same way. They're saying, okay, I want profits. I want the way, I want my economic well-being, my property to multiply, to first of all, be protected from confiscation or from theft, but also to grow, to have it be multiplied. And that's what, that's what I mean is that a person's looking out for their own interests. And the only way they can do that is if you have a rights-respecting society, which means a free society. Free society meaning... I have the freedom to trade with whoever I want and do what I want with my property unless I'm violating someone else's rights. Free doesn't mean I can do whatever the hell I want, including violating someone else's rights. It means I have the freedom to do anything I want with my life and my property as long as I'm not violating someone else's rights. I, you know, that contradiction wouldn't work, and it doesn't. So that's why a, a free society is a rights-respecting society, and the government that actually is doing its proper role is basically protecting people and their property rights, making their own decisions, making their own decisions, potentially failing because there's no guarantee of success. We don't live in that kind of world. We live in the world uh, that has you know, cost benefits and uh, we don't have omniscience. We aren't gods. So we don't know whether something's going to work out. We don't know whether the trade that we thought was going to work out great it does work out great. But that's what we mean by a free society. And there's an intimate connection between property rights and having the freedom to exercise your judgment over your own property. Something else I think is funny, too. It's not quite as principle-based as your, your very eloquent answer, Mike. But one thing I've noticed is that uh, I'm thinking in specific about a, a CEO who may or may not have founded a large grocery chain nationwide. You know, he, of course, founded this, got lots of outside capital to go in and, and create this very successful chain. But, uh, you know, the soon the, the creditors start saying, hey, we want some say over how this is running. You know, <laughs> we put our money into this. And, you know, he starts talking about, well, really, you know, I mean, this is about the earth, man. I mean, you may have gave me money, but it's my business. And, and think about all the stakeholders out there that I'm serving. You know, it's I think this idea of ESG is rife for abuse because CEOs can start using it. Absolutely. And that's part of that's part of the whole point is that they can use other people's property, meaning their shareholders, and not be a good fiduciary of it. And that's what's interesting right now is we're reaching that point where this whole ESG movement is self-revealing. It's revealing its its hypocrisies and its contradictions. 
So people are starting to say, well, wait, I'm going to sue you for not having the fiduciary responsibility that I thought you had. You know, if you're if you're the manager of the company that I have stock in, or if you're the pension fund manager who is managing my retirement, and you're saying this is what's a higher priority, meaning maybe my returns are going to be sacrificed for your building your own little empire or getting in close with people in Washington, you're not really being a fiduciary anymore. Right. And there, it'll be interesting to see how the courts digest and and actually look at that. I mean, it may be that the courts will be that far down the road of, of not being clear on what property rights are. I mean, that's that's been a, an evolution over the last hundred years where people don't get you know what it means to, to say you're a free person and you have property that's absolute and we can't violate that. I mean, it, people are confused by those things. One thing I do like particularly about the governance movement is this greater focus on, you know, how should corporations govern themselves? Because I I do think that that has been abused in the past. Oftentimes, you'll see CEOs also be chairman of the board of directors. And I don't think that's always necessarily a good thing. So that is a positive where... No, so do you think that that's something that the government should be able to Oh, no, I don't think it's something the government should do. But I, in general, it is something where I I like the idea of people focusing more on, hey, how is this corporation actually governed? Yeah. No, I agree with you. That's a huge thing. In fact, even in my own business, it's, it's a huge thing to be able to say... Well, wait, you got all this all this power. I mean, it's economic okay. power. And then people need to make sure they're clear on the difference between political power, which is the power of the gun, which is the power of force, versus earned economic power. But the earned economic power is real. And, you know, the 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 fact that someone is saying, okay, you know, I'm a chairman and I'm also the like you said, um, you know, the the president. I mean, I have multiple hats. Yeah. People have not been, and this is true of the political realm as well as the economic realm. People have not very, been very good stewards of their own capital or holding their uh, managers of the companies that they invest in really accountable. So well, you end up having this buddy buddy network or or more uh, centralized power that isn't really in their economic interest. Well, and the CEO is like the agent, right? He's the agent of the board of directors who in turn are the agents of the shareholders. But what you have a lot recently, we saw it in Boeing. I think they, a few years ago, they split the roles in half, but you have the chairman and CEO together in one role, a lot of concentration and power. And so you destroy kind of the principal agent connection and there's not a lot of oversight. There's really no checks or balances. Yep. There's a reason that sort of thing works in government, yeah. right? Checks and balances because ambition checks ambition. In corporations, you have a lot of people getting away with stupid decisions because they're not checked. Yeah, but the whole point would be what's the best check on that that kind of power? And my view is the, the market. The, the more the market is free and the more people suffer the consequences. So shareholders who say, well, I don't really care if my CEO is the same as my chairman and, and president, and he's got five different hats at the company, and he's hired all of his golf buddies. That company is not going to necessarily succeed, right? Yeah. They will get their ass handed to them. Or they should. They should. And, yeah. and, 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 and the, my view is that they will. Now, the question is, how quickly can that happen? And do you have people who are milking a company? You know, there might be a really successful, well-run organization that someone is milking for a long time. And this happens. I mean, there, there are companies out there that you know build a great reputation and then you have managers who come in and they're just building their own little fiefdom within that. 
But the problem is when you say, okay, Mike and Mitch are the ones who are going to decide, or no, it's someone, some bureaucrat in Washington, some regulator who's going to now decide, that doesn't work either. You, got, you have to have those shareholders be able to say, we're going to vote those bastards out or change policies or whatever. And if you have the entrenched power, I mean, this happens a lot in discussions around, and it's part of the ESG movement, yeah, I guess the government's movement. But you know, when, you, when you talk about the good old boys network or the, the fact that you know, the, there hasn't been enough minorities or women CEOs or whatever, it's because of that good old boys network. And they just keep voting themselves in and, and it's incestuous, right? But whenever you've had more freedom, and this is, I think, historically factual, whenever you've had more freedom in a marketplace, you get more, and it's unfortunate to say this, but it's good. You get more brutal capitalism. You get more people who are saying, no, we have to make rational decisions and we're gonna we're not gonna hire our golfing buddies. We gotta hire the best talent we have, we can find. Yeah. And so corporate governance, you're exactly right, is is a crucial thing. And and more and more people, because they're more shareholders, because of the success in in one sense of capitalism, you know, there are more people who have a stake in the stock market or have a stake in owning shares of stock. They're needing more education about how it works. You know, how how does this thing work? How, you know, I, okay, I have property, I, I bought some stock, and now I get to vote on it. But you know, someone else is voting these proxies for me, and and, and I don't really want to anyway. I mean, I this is it's an interesting because I have kind of consolidated power within my own practice in the sense of saying I will vote my clients' shareholder proxies because they don't want to deal with it. Right? They don't yeah. have any real connection. They're like, well, what is this about? I don't, do I have to do some research? Or do I have to actually figure out who the CEO yeah. is? You yeah. Know, even though he's partly you know, responsible for my wealth, you know, it, it takes some time. And there's nothing wrong with someone delegating that to someone else, right? To say, look, I'm, I don't really have time to look into these uh, issues that this corporation that I like is is focused on. So I'll, I'll delegate that to somebody else. That's part of what a market is, uh, whether it's a financial advisor who's saying, okay, I'll vote your proxies or, or there's all kinds of uh, companies that are, there's innovation going on even in that marketplace. And, and I, you know, it's interesting because I think AI, AI might even solve that, right? You kind of say, okay, let me build a model that says, here's the kind of corporate governance that I want. Here's the kind of CEOs and corporation leadership that I want to have in any investment that I wouldn't put money into and let's build an algorithm that says, no, I'm not going to vote. For, I'm not going to put yeah. my money in that company because they're, you know, they're uh, doing the Bud Light thing or they're doing, or, you know, they're doing whatever they're doing and I don't like that. So I'm not going to invest in them. So I guess as we kind of wrap this up then, Mike, is if we're pro-freedom advocates, pro-property rights, should we just avoid any company that has any sort of ESG? If they've got a tree on their website, do we need to do our banking somewhere else? No, I don't think so at all. In fact, that's that's the other part that that people are sort of waking up to a, a modern division of labor and hopefully free economy because those do go hand in hand. I mean, we you have division of labor economies in in a socialist command and control economy, but over time that actually begins to erode. But in in a real a free market in a an economy that has specialization, you have lots of overlapping interests and lots of harmonizing interest, really. Lots of cooperation that goes on. But you can't actually necessarily peel back, no human being can peel back and say, well, what are the relationships with that company to someone I do or don't like? And it's a bunch of virtual signaling. Again, there's nothing wrong with marketing. And and as long as there isn't coercion going on, then markets work themselves out. But I guess that's a long way to, to say, I want to acknowledge the problems, but I also agree with you. I think your implication is that Look, people get all wound up, you know, in, in a fury of emotion about things that are probably not that big a deal. 
Now, there are cases where, I mean, uh, I think, I'm trying to think of companies I won't do business with. Yeah, I, I mentioned, I just mentioned Bud Light. I mean, I, I thought that was really boneheaded on their part. Now, I wasn't really a Bud Light drinker in the first yeah, place, right? I've never had a Bud Light, honestly. But, but. but um, I can understand why someone who would say, look, they've made a different turn. You know, they used to advertise to me with, you know, beautiful women and sports. And now they have someone who's a woman who, no, they were a man. No, I don't know. I'm, they're trying to push an agenda on me. Maybe they're trying to push an agenda of tolerance, but I'm not accepting that or whatever it is. I mean, whoever that person who was a Bud Light drinker before who said, I can't deal with this, I think that's okay. I think that's okay for them to say, no, this is, I'm making a different decision. I don't want to go along with how you're identifying yourself now. Now, maybe that'll point out some bigotries or maybe that'll point out some boneheaded marketing you know, that yeah. goes on. Well, I think for me, the idea is do business with who you want to do business with if they don't represent their values or you're really angry with the decision they made, absolutely do business somewhere else. Absolutely focus on being pro-freedom, pro-property rights, as we've discussed. And pro your own future, right? And pro your own future. Be long-term oriented. Be thinking about your future, about how you, and, and, and okay, do the products that you're buying enhance your life? Is it something that you really do value? Uh, I mean, make those decisions. Don't make them knee-jerk. And, and if someone comes up with, I mean, especially a large corporation that is actually uh, trying to address lots of different people, if you really value their products, go ahead and buy them anyway. I mean, even if you've got a marketing campaign that you're going to go, ah, I don't really agree with that. But if you still like their product, by all means, keep buying their product. And I think that's the other point is just don't obsess over it. There's a lot of other big things going on in the world. If you see a tree on the website of a local bank, Doing business there isn't going to sweep the Marxists into power, probably. <laughs> you know, it's okay not to obsess over every little thing, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it's okay to be for trees too, right? It's okay to be for trees, you know? And if it really makes you angry, and open up your money market account and then go chop down a tree somewhere in the forest, if that's what you need to do to feel better about yourself. But, you know, just live your life too, is all I'm trying to Absolutely. say. Absolutely. That is the number one thing about capitalism is living your life to the best it can be. And hopefully you'll continue to view this opportunity to listen to Mitch and I as uh, enhancing your life and you'll tell other people about it and, and you'll give us suggestions on things you want to hear. Thank you for your time and listening to us. We hope you gained some information or had a little infotainment, as you said earlier. This is Mike Williams and Mitch Whitus signing off for the Defenders of Capitalism podcast. This is our Capital Idea. Hopefully you'll listen again. 